Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. But I think that uh, we all know uh, the frustrations of pursuing something that, that we desire, uh, something that we think is going to make us happy, or something that we think is going to uh, fulfill us or satisfy us, only to be left wanting and uh, longing for something more, longing for something different. It's like... Uh, the grass is just always greener on the other side, right? You get to the other side, the grass is greener, I want to get there, I get there, it's not what I thought it would be, and I look up, and the grass is greener over there now. Yeah, I just never, right, never fully satisfied. I mean, why, why is life like that? Why is it just like, you know, that what we, what, we want satisfaction, we want fulfillment, but it just seems to always be out of reach. And so uh, it's a simple question that we want to answer this morning from Psalm chapter uh, 115, Psalm 115, as we uh, return to our theme for this year, which is created to worship. It's something that we're going to touch on throughout the year, talk about worship. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, uh, I encourage you to open your Bibles up to Psalm 115. If you don't, there's Bibles in the pews in front of you, uh, under the chair in front of you. You can take that home if you want one or if you have a friend that wants one. Um, However, um, I am going to be using that legacy standard Bible translation again, uh, which is in the notes, in the manuscript notes. And so if you want to follow along in those notes, I understand that as well. Uh, this is a fairly new translation, and it's, uh, I know no one here probably has a copy of it. I don't even have a copy of it because it's just, um, <laughs> it's so expensive. But uh, because there's just hard, not that many copies yet. But uh, I'm, I'm pleased, really pleased by this translation, by the way that it translates that Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, uh, it just translates it plainly. So instead of saying L-O-R-D in capital letters, Lord, it just says Yahweh. And I like that because Yahweh means something, as we've learned in our study throughout Exodus. It means, it means to be. God says, I am who I am. I'm just the one who is. And I'm not created. I'm eternal. I'm self-sufficient, self-existent, depend upon nobody type of God. And this is who I am. And so um, Psalm 115 is going to emphasize that again. Um, this, this psalm is actually in a group of psalms known as the Hallelujah Psalms. Um, actually, comes out of the Egyptian Hallel or Exodus Hallel Psalms. They celebrate the Exodus. And so it's fitting uh, for our Life of Moses series as well, this psalm. And it's uh, fitting for this time of year, uh, Passover. Another Exodus account, right? Passover, the Jews would recite this psalm together at the end of their Passover meals, right? What we celebrate at Easter. And uh, uh, hallelujah, what does that mean? Hallel, the first part of the word, means 
praise. And uh, hallelujah means praise Yahweh. Yah is a short form of the word Yahweh. So hallelujah, praise Yah. Isn't that nice? It's great. Uh, I wish they just translate it that way sometimes. Praise Yah. Uh, but uh, this is classified, could be classified as a psalm of communal confidence, right? It's meant for a congregation to sing in praise to God. And, and, and praise, just singing, is just one of the many ways right, that we worship God and thus glorify God. And that's really what the psalmist is concerned about this morning. Uh, as you read this, this, uh, this psalm, it's the glorification of God, right? God getting the glory due his name. That's the big concern. And uh, let's just go ahead and read verses 1 and uh, 2 here. It says, Not to us, O Yahweh, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? So, uh, again, the big concern, the first blank in your outline, is the glory of Yahweh. This is what we're concerned about. Verse 1 says, not to us, but to your name. Give glory. God Asking God to give himself glory. Give, glorify his own name. Right? The psalmist is calling on Yahweh to glorify himself and not us, to glorify himself for his own sake, for his own reputation, and not for his people's own interests. Right? And that, that's, you have to think about that. The pagan nations who worshipped other gods, we might call idols, this psalm is going to call them idols, they would taunt the God of Israel, taunt the living God, kind of like Goliath did with, uh, with the armies of Israel. Uh, he was coming out daily, taunting the living God of Israel for being inactive and you know, just not revealing himself. And so uh, the psalmist is saying, God, uh, you know our situation. You know we need deliverance. And it, you know that we want you to know that this isn't about us. Uh, yeah, this is a need we have. We need to be delivered. But you know what? You show your loving kindness to us. We want you to show your loving kindness to us, your covenant love to us, and we want you to uh, do it not for us, not simply just for us, but for your name's sake. Isn't that awesome? If they want to glorify God. They understand that. That's what they're made to do. And they want the truth of who God is to be displayed in the world by the way that he intervenes in their situation. So it's not about them. It's about God making himself known in their situation. Isn't that great? That's, that's, that is the heart of this psalm. And now he begins to set up a contrast between Yahweh and the idols. In verse 3, look at this. But our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. No apology. Our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. So that's the answer to where is their God? He's in the heavens. He's going to do whatever he wants to do, right? But why? Because, because he's not a created being. He's not part of creation. He's not like creation. He is above creation. He's outside of creation. He existed before creation was even created, right? 
Think about that. He is the eternal creator of creation who never was created and existed before creation. It's an amazing thing. He's totally sovereign over it, which means that he is not restricted at all by it and what goes on in it. Unrestricted by the things that go on in this world. That's our God. Isn't that awesome? God's sovereignty is not a reason to debate. God's sovereignty is a reason to worship. That's what we're getting at. Uh, he is sovereign in his viewpoint. He is sovereign in his, his actions. It doesn't matter what people say about God. We know Yahweh is always on the throne, unimpeded, unrestricted. Isn't that good news this morning? Nothing can thwart his plans. Nothing can thwart his purposes. Remember that when you read the news. That's good news right there. Um, as for the idols of the nations, verse 4 continues, their idols are silver and gold, the work of a man's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have noses, but they do not smell. As for their hands, they do not feel. As for their feet, they do not walk. They do not make a sound with their throat. So, well, God is all-powerful. He's the living God. Yeah, un, you know, he, he's active in the world. Uh, this is saying idols, in contrast, are completely powerless. Completely powerless, even motionless. They don't even move. So they're not above creation like Yahweh is. They're actually part of creation. They're made of the elements of this world. Gold and silver and stone or wood or whatever it is. They're, they're actually... Get this, the idols of the nations are actually subject to man's hands. Man can manipulate these gods, right? These gods are the, you know, these, he's talking about, you know, in the ancient Near East or uh, even in India today, there's idols everywhere, right? People would carve and make different idols and statues and images, and then they would actually worship that, and would, that would be their god. They would set it up on their mantle and bow down to it or something like that. Um, India today, you go to India today, there's just idols everywhere. Uh, like, it's a, it's a big industry there. But um, this, is, this is saying that, you know, that these idols that the nations hope in, these gods, in quotation marks with a lowercase g, these are lifeless gods. They have no senses at all whatsoever. They're dull, they're stupid, they're empty, they're dead. And they're basically purchased at Ikea. You have to, you go purchase your God and then you have some assembly required of it, right? So in the process, you have to make your God. And uh, Charles Spurgeon said, the meanest or, or lowest insect has more power of locomotion than the greatest heathen God. I like that. Uh, puts it in perspective. Isaiah 44, 14 through 19 provides another just scathing piece of satire uh, on, on idolatry. He talks about how foolish it is that a man would chop down a tree, take half of it and burn it for firewood, use it for firewood, for keeping himself warm and for baking bread. And then the other half of the tree, he would take and he would carve it into an idol and bow down to it. He, Isaiah says he also prays to it and says, Deliver me for you're my God. 
And then he, he says, these, these idolaters, they don't know, they don't understand that he has smeared over their eyes so they cannot see. Wait, did you see that? The idolater now can't see. Their hearts cannot comprehend. No one recalls, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I've burned half of it in the fire and I've also baked bread over its coals. I roast meat and I eat it and then the rest of it I make into an abomination. And I fall down before a block of wood, exclamation point. Bowing down to a block of wood. He feeds, this guy, the idolater, feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. A pretty, pretty satirical uh, comment there, right? Um, Isaiah really puts it into perspective, though. How foolish... To worship something that is created instead of worshiping the creator. Isn't the creator the one who deserves our worship, not the creation, right? We just sang about that, how everything depends on the creator. We get our life from him. He's the one worthy of worship. Um, but isn't it true of us, though? Like, we look at this, this idolater here in Isaiah, and we're like, man, this guy's a, a fool, right? He's bound down to a block of wood. But it's true of us that our hearts, guys, we have a terrible propensity towards idols. And that's, that's just so evident when Israel is saved from Egypt, slavery in Egypt, right? They just got redeemed by Yahweh uh, through the Red Sea. They're delivered and they get over to Mount Sinai. What do they do? They make a golden calf and say, this is your God who delivered you, and they're, they delivered us. I mean, it's unreal. We want some sort of image or something to worship. It's just weird, a statue, an image, whatever it is. Um, we have trouble with the concept of an invisible, living spirit being God. And uh, that's why first commandment and second commandment were don't, you know, don't make any idols. Don't make a God. If you, as soon as you make a God, even an image of God in your mind, you've just created an idol because it does not truly represent who he is. That's why we want to be careful with images and things like that. An idol, though, you know, we, want, we might not bow, bow down to a block of wood in our neck of the woods here in the world, but uh, an idol doesn't have to be a literal statue. I mean, even biblically, an idol could be anything that our heart clings to or relies upon for ultimate security. Anything our heart clings to depends upon. An idol can be anything that takes the place of God in our lives, anything that we might prioritize above God or give our loyalty to, anything that we trust in above God. So it could be what? It could be our job. It could be our you know, money, material possessions, it could be a relationship I'm going to instead of God to get the, that satisfaction or something. It could be a hobby that is now distracting me from God. It could be a form of, of media. Think about this. Even, even our problems and our fears can become an idol. It's what we're thinking about all the time. It's distracting us from serving God. Our problems and our fears. Um. What about our reputation, living for our reputation, our self-image, the temptation to, to fit in and to deny Christ just because we want to fit in somewhere or something like that? 
But, uh, you know, some of these things I've mentioned aren't inher- inherently wrong. They're not inherently sinful or idolatrous, right? Some things like material possessions, relationships, our job, right? God gives them to us to enjoy and to glorify Him with, but they become idols when we start to find all of our meaning and our purpose and our identity and, and our trust and loyalty go to them and they get in between us and God. And so uh, instead of being a way to glorify God, uh, they actually steal our worship from Him. Right? We start to trust in them. I start to trust in my bank account. I start to trust in my, my possessions or this relationship, whatever it is. Um, this can be, too, though, think about this. This can be a very subtle and a, this isn't going to be offensive. I'm not speaking the truth to be offensive. The truth is just offensive. It's been offending me all week. But <laughs> at the core of idol worship, you know what it is? It's not the idol. It's us. It's me, my, mine, myself, and I, right? So we do what we do when we're, when we're going after something. We're, we're pursuing what we're pursuing because we are ultimately self-centered. Uh, it's about my desires, my wants, my self-image over what God wants and desires in my life. That's often the way it works, isn't it? So we're saying no to God and we're bowing down to the idol of self. Um, it's self-worship. One man said, uh, he says things like this um, all the time, but um, this is Paul Washer. <laughs> a fiery preacher, but he says our our problem is not that we don't love ourselves enough; it's that our we love ourselves too much. Okay, this is why Jesus said you have to learn to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. That's why He said, "Love your neighbor as yourself." It's not saying that you need to love yourself first; it's saying you already do love yourself. You know, seek others' interests. Uh, we need saving from ourselves. But uh, this is just as true uh, for those who bow down to statues and images in ancient Israel. Think about it. When someone was bowing down to a statue or an image, typically they were bowing down for their own personal blessings and their own welfare. So their thinking was something like this. I'm going to go and I'm going to bow down to this statue because this God, this God, this statue promises me farming prosperity. And then, after that God, I'm going to go over to this God. I'm going to go over to this altar, and I'm going to bow down to it, because this God is the God of whatever, and it promises me uh, posterity blessings, right? It's the God of children. It's something like that. That's how it goes. And so, many, the Bible says, were, were bowing down. Many Israelites were bowing down to Yahweh, They were worshiping Yahweh, uh, not for his glory, but for their own benefit. Because right after Yahweh, they'd go to a different God to get some other blessing elsewhere. And it was just all about them, right? They're putting money in the plate so that God blesses them. It's not for God's glory, right? Everything they do is about them. They would bow the knee to Yahweh. Then they'd go bow the knee to Baal, and they're just trying to manipulate the gods for them, for their sake. Isn't this in our hearts? Man, I mean, you, everything we do, we can start to do for us rather than for him. It's a sad commentary 
on humanity. But, you know, as we're good consumers, aren't we? <laughs> I just come to consume, consume rather than serve. Um, we can serve God for our own gain and not for His glory. And uh, that's, that's typical. That's the natural inclination of our hearts. But let's look at what happens to idol worshipers in verse 8. Uh, the curse of idol worshipers. So rather than getting a blessing from their idols, they get a curse uh, from Yahweh. It says, those who make them will become like them. Those who make the idols are going to become like the idols. Everyone who trusts in them, you become like them. The psalmist declares that those who worship God will become like that object that they worship. And then, uh, this isn't saying that if you, you know, if you worship your car, whatever, uh, that you're going to become like a car. Keep in mind that he has uh, a statue in mind, a lifeless statue, an idol, an image in his mind. So what he's saying is that if you're, you're going to go uh, worship a created thing or an idol that's dull and stupid and empty and lifeless, you're going to become spiritually dull and stupid and empty and lifeless. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Uh, you'll become spiritually insensitive to the things of Yahweh, to the things of God. You'll become prime for Yahweh's judgment if you're a non-believer and Yahweh's discipline if you're a believer, we might think of it. Uh, even, even believers can fall into this trap. Like you'll have, you can have eyes, but you won't see reality. You just won't see it. You'll have ears, but you won't be able to hear God's word. You won't be able to hear God's truth. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus, remember how he tested the spiritual receptivity of his audience with parables. And he said, to him who has ears, let him hear. Well, we all have ears, right? We can all hear, but what's he talking about? He's talking about people who are perceptive to spiritual truth. And this is an Old Testament concept. They would have understood Remember John in the book of Revelation, Jesus is writing to the churches. What does he say at the end of every letter to the churches? To him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So are we listening to God? Can we hear God's truth? And if we can't, and if we don't see the spiritual realities in this world and what's taken place, it might be a sign we're not really living for God. We're not worshipers. It's a sad reality, but guys, even believers who are not living for God's glory, can, are, they're susceptible to this uh, narcotic effect, this, this anesthesia, spiritual anesthesia. It's, it's, it's Hebrews, remember Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to them. He says, I have so much to explain to you, but you're dull of hearing. You guys, you can't handle what I have to say because you're carnal, you're worldly. You need the spiritual ABCs again. Uh, I got the reference in the notes. He said, but Paul says the same thing to the Corinthians. Basically the same things. He's like, you guys need to stop sinning because some of you guys have no knowledge of God. It's like, See that the interruption there, the spiritual antennas have faded because of their life of sin, their carnal lives. And uh, it's a form of God's judgment or discipline. And uh, uh, this, this is really evident in Romans chapter 1. 
Uh, Verses 18 through 32, we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but it explains our society today. Because man has embraced ideas like evolution and rejected what is plainly, plainly evident about the Creator God, it says that uh, God has, in divine judgment, handed them over, handed people over to their own lusts of their hearts, to degrade, degrading passions. Do you see that at work today? And a depraved mind. He says, okay, you don't want me? You want to suppress the truth about me? And, and I'm the creator God? Then have it your way. He lets you suffer the fate of your own consequences. And we're seeing that at work today. Romans 1, 22 through 23 says, professing to be wise, they became fools. They've exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of what? Corruptible man and other living things in this world. But, but this, is, this is, guys, this is why we have, <laughs> I, I mentioned it last week, but we have professors in our colleges who say things like, you can't tell the difference between a man and a woman based on the bones that you find in an archaeological dig or whatever. Of course you can. This is why we have you know, doctors denying that sort of thing. This is why we have Supreme Court justices who can't tell the difference or won't admit the difference between a man and a woman. They've suppressed the truth and they have depraved minds. We've become fools. It's God's judgment. It's, clear as ev- it's just clear as day to me. I hope it is to us. But when God commissions Isaiah the prophet... In Isaiah 6, chapter 9, verse 10, God says, go and tell this people. God's sending Isaiah to the Israelites as, a, as basically like a missionary. Go and tell them. Go and tell them. Be ever hearing, never perceiving. Right? Never understanding. Be ever seeing, never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their hearts dull. Close their eyes. What? Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. What's this saying? It's saying God has judged this people for their idolatry. He's disciplined them. And actually, by Isaiah's proclaiming of the truth, it's like the sun on the clay. It's just going to harden it even harder sometimes. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And we're, guys, I know this is kind of some tough stuff, but um, we're, we're starting to get at the answer to our question here. Our original question is, why does it seem like the grass is always greener somewhere else? Why do we seek things to satisfy us and it leaves us feeling emptier, dull, void, why is that? The answer is that we just keep living for idols. We pursue something, we get it. It's an idol. It doesn't give us life. And so what do we do? We look to something else in creation to satisfy us. And it's just another idol. I think I'm going to find it in this relationship. I don't, so I drop that one. I find another one. It's not there. I look for it in my truck, my car, whatever. It's not there. I look for it in this job. I look for it in this degree. I look for it in... You know, and it's just, it's a vicious cycle. It doesn't end. 
And the reason why it doesn't end is because we never turn back to Yahweh. Because we're so busy living for ourselves through our idols and not doing what we were created to do. We just glorify God. Guys, I'm, I'm just trying to put two and two together here and not get 22. But if we were created to glorify God, then that means we will never ultimately be satisfied doing anything if it were not doing it for his glory. I want to repeat that five times. You cannot undo what you were created to do. Right? So you can't buck the system that God designed. Everything in this world exists for his glory and you either operate according to that design and you find a blessing or you buck against it to your own ruin to your own lifeless dark void life at first it's going to taste good for a while right sin sometimes is satisfying for a little bit but eventually it will turn its back on you and it will stab you in the back you know what i mean someday you're going to get sick of it because it's not what's giving you life. It's not giving you purpose. It's not giving you hope and fulfillment. And guys, this is the reason, though, why people today are going to sinful extremes in our culture like we've never seen before. People just aren't satisfied with it, with who they are. They're not satisfied with their idols. And so what they're doing is they're going to push the envelope. They're going to push the envelope. We're going to cross some more barriers to basically... See if there's more satisfaction. I'm not satisfied with who I am, so I'm going to try to be someone else. See, it's just an, it's just an emptiness there. People are searching. When you look at our society, they're searching. They don't know why they were created. And the reality is they're only moving further away from God's design to their own detriment. But hopefully, you get to the end of that rope and you, you finally look up. You know, like some of us, that's our story, Right? We saw life and so many other things, and it wasn't until we just said, all right, I give up, right, that we turned to Christ, and it was like, here it is. This is what I've been longing for all along. And, and I'm convinced, guys, that the young man that's maybe busting tires in a tire shop somewhere, fixing flats, he's going he's gonna, to... You know, he's getting minimum wage, but I tell you, if, if he's doing it for the glory of God, that man is going to be so much more satisfied than the man who has it all, that has all that this world can offer. Think about that. It's just the way it is. Because this, this young man busting tires, he knows what he was created to do, and he's going to love God, and he's going to love those customers, he's going to take care of them. The guy that has it all, you know, the millionaires, the billionaires, whatever, all the fame, all the fortune, empty. That's why so many of them take their life. They have, they've ran out of options, they think. But in his book on idolatry, G.K. Beale, um, it's called We Become What We Worship. Um, G.K. Beale lays out this biblical theology on idolatry, and he's got this big principle throughout his book. This thing is a tome, basically, for... <laughs> On idolatry. I mean, it's like Genesis to Revelation idolatry. But this is what he says throughout the book. What you revere, you resemble either for your ruin or your restoration. What you revere, what you go after, 
right? You're going to start to resemble that. Um, it could be an idol or it can be Yahweh. It could be Jesus. Um, we, just, we find that principle at work. Wherever we look, wherever we go, uh, we start to imitate, we start to reflect what we give our attention, attention to, what we spend, what or who we spend our time with. And I think everyone who has kids knows this is true. It's kind of scary. But, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> you start to notice as they, they grow how they imitate you in many ways. Right? It's very scary. And they start to, like, take care of their stuffed animals, you know, feed and care and discipline their stuffed animals, much like you feed and care and discipline them, right? Uh, it's just, it's, it's interesting. But Proverbs says, hey, bad company corrupts good character, right? You're around this, this group, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to rub off on you. You know, your peer group, you become like the peer group you hang out with. Hey, you watch too much news, you watch too much media, be careful, that every tragedy, every breaking news announcement doesn't become an idol, right? That'll be your focus. Everything will be out of control, right? Instead of reminding you that Yahweh's in control. But who, who were we made to revere and resemble, right? God, God says, Genesis 1 says, we were created in God's image. We're made to reflect him. And uh, so we want to focus on him. We want to focus on Jesus. The Bible says the the perfect God-man. You know what I mean? He's God in the flesh. He's the ultimate example for us. And so uh, by being focused on him, we are going to be restored. We are going to be conformed to his image. Isn't that great? Romans 8.29. That's God's big picture plan for us, to restore us to his image. And so we want to focus on him. But let's wind this, this psalm back down pretty quick. Uh, number four, the blessings of Yahweh worshipers, verses 9 through 15. O Israel, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, this was to the priests, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and their shield. You who fear Yahweh, basically anyone and everyone, Israelite or not, trust in Yahweh. Because he is their help and their shield. And then they say, Yahweh remembered us. He will bless. He will bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear Yahweh. Right? So no more cursing. The idol worshipers get the cursing. Who gets the blessings? Those who worship Yahweh. He will bless those who fear Yahweh. The small and the great together. May Yahweh give you increase. You and your children. May you be blessed of Yahweh who made heaven and earth. I just... Love that. The psalmist affirms that when you approach Yahweh properly, like with a motivation to glorify Him, then that's the truly happy person. That, that, that He is truly going to be that person's help and that person's shield. It's going to keep you sane in this world, right? When you have the sovereignty of God uh, and you pursue God. Um, but it doesn't matter who it is, from the small to the great, He's going to take care of that person. And uh, it's not saying that everything's going to be just, you know, wrinkle-free in your life and everything's just going to be perfect. No, it's, actually, it's just that he's sovereign, you can trust him, and he's going to bless you. And it's an eternal thing, no matter what happens in this life. But look at this. Like, the one who lives for God's glory and not for himself is the one who finds life and blessing. Jesus' words. Matthew 10, 39, whoever wishes to save his life will 
lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake, Jesus said, will, will find it. Verse 16, the heavens are the heavens of Yahweh, but the earth has been given to the sons of men. The earth has been given to the sons of men. It is not the dead that praise Yah, and it is none of those who go down to silence. But as for us, we will bless Yah. From now until forever, praise Yah. That's hallelujah right there. It ends with hallelujah. I think we can all say hallelujah to that, right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But basically, the psalmist ends by reminding us God created this earth. And Earth Day is coming up, right? On the 22nd, they say. But God created this earth for man to glorify God on. Right? This is the place that he gave us. It's a gift to dwell upon. It's a place that we worship him from. It is not something to be worshipped. That's what he's saying here. God created the earth for man. We don't worship the earth. We worship God from the earth for all that he has done for us, right? So we're to worship Yah while we're on the earth now. Verse 17 reminds us that after we die, this unique opportunity that we have is gone. It's not that we're not going to praise God forever. We will, but the unique moment that we have right now to exercise faith in this world and worship him and glorify him like we do now it's, it's gone after that. So he's saying, he's saying, spend your time wisely worshiping God and glorifying him. And, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you want to end that vicious cycle of idol chasing in your life this morning, you need to know that Jesus Christ is the only way out of that cycle. He's the only way. He's God. The Bible says he is actually Yahweh in the flesh. He's the one who became a man to die for our sins and his resurrection from the dead that we celebrated last week proved it. He rose from the dead. When you return to your creator, right, after pursuing the creation, the Bible says your ears are opened, your eyes see again. There's a spiritual wake-up call, right? Um, The veil... Of darkness is removed, but whenever, Paul said this, whenever a person turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. How many of you can say amen to that? I can. <laughs> totally different person. I see it now. I hear it. I hear the truth. I see the truth. It's amazing. But like I said, just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're completely off the hook now, right? To these, these effects. You have to continue living for God's glory or else you too will experience discipline. So we have to continually walk in repentance or else we're going to grow spiritually dull. Peter said you're going to be, he who doesn't apply these different qualities that he talks about, you know, like brotherly love, Knowledge, self-control. He's talking about walking with the Spirit, right? If you don't apply those things, he says, you become blind, you become short-sighted. You forget your former cleansing from your sin. And so the answer for us, again, if that's what's happened to us, it's repentance. 
We have to remember we have to keep living for the glory of God and not be conformed to this world. We want to be conformed to Jesus. What's Romans 12, 1 and 2 say? Don't be conformed to the image of this world, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might know his good and pleasing and perfect will for your life. Isn't that awesome? You can know it. What his will is for you. And I can say this morning, just black and whitely, right? Frankly, God's will for your life is that you glorify him because that's what you were created to do. I want to end with a quote. I just had this quote at the end of my notes all week. I didn't know what to do with it. I was trying to plug it in somewhere, and it just stayed at the bottom of my notes. But this is from Floyd Brockman, his, his work on practical Christian theology. He says, It is the creator's inherent right to exalt himself and to receive from his creation all praise. And it's the creature's duty, and we're created, right? It's our duty whose very existence depends upon the creator to glorify his maker. Our highest duty is to glorify the creator in all we do. Our highest duty. This means that we are to live in a manner that will bring him credit and praise. While, while sin makes us, our sin in our lives make us unlike him and it discredits him, our obedience in his strength, he says, which we, could, we might say by his grace, our obedience by his grace and his strength, manifests his qualities and works in our lives and it brings him praise. Right? Your, your good works glorify your Father in heaven, Jesus said. But then he just ends with this. We exist for his purpose. Good reminder for us this morning. I guess we could, we could end with hallelujah. Let's just say hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, uh, if what we've studied this morning is, is true, Lord, that we were made to glorify you and by your spirit and your grace, Lord, I help, pray that you would help us to take pleasure in your glory and not our own. I pray that you would renew our hearts and minds, that you would just, by the Spirit of God, put new software in us. Help us to think differently, to have different motives, and to see that, that our, our calling is to glorify you, to live for you. And so help us to think clearly about what, what we've been worshiping in this life, what's, what's taken our eyes off of you, and Lord, help us to either forsake that or at least put it back in its proper place, whatever it is. Um, grant us eyes to, to see the spiritual realities and see your kingdom and uh, ears to, to hear your truth that we might apply it and just become more like you. And be able to say with Jesus what Jesus said in his, one of his final prayers, that, that we have glorified you on earth having accomplished the work which you've given us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.